Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, minister grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode, we continue our reading of Calvin's Institutes, Book 2, Chapter 8. We will be reading Section 45-48, through 48, reading Calvin's discussion on the Eighth and Ninth Commandment. Eighth Commandment, Thou shall not steal. 45. The purport is, that injustice being an abomination to God, we must render to every man his due. In substance, then, the commandment forbids us to long after other men's goods, and, accordingly, requires every man to exert himself honestly in preserving his own. For we must consider that what each individual possesses has not fallen to him by chance, but by the distribution of the sovereign Lord of all, that no one can pervert his means to bad purposes without committing a fraud on a divine dispensation. There are very many kinds of theft. One consists in violence, as when a man's goods are forcibly plundered and carried off. Another in malicious imposture, as when they are fraudulently intercepted. A third in the more hitting craft which takes possession of them with a semblance of justice. And a fourth in sycophancy, which wiles them away under the pretense of donation. But not to dwell too long in enumerating the different classes, we know that all the arts by which we obtain possession of the goods and money of our neighbors, for sincere affection substituting an eagerness to deceive or injure them in any way, are to be regarded as thefts. Though they may be obtained by an action at law, a different decision is given by God. He sees the long train of deception by which the man of craft begins to lay nets for his more simple neighbor, until he entangles him in its meshes, sees the harsh and cruel laws by which the more powerful oppresses and crushes the feeble, sees enticements by which the more wily baits the hook for the less wary. Though all these escape the judgment of man, and no cognizance is taken of them. Nor is the violation of this commandment confined to money or merchandise or lands, but extends to every kind of right. For we defraud our neighbors to their hurt if we decline any of the duties which we are bound to perform towards them. If an agent or an indolent steward wastes the substance of his employer, or does not give due heed to the management of his property, if he unjustly squanders or luxuriously wastes the means entrusted to him, if a servant holds his master in derision, divulges his secrets, or in any way is treacherous to his life or his goods, if, on the other hand, a master cruelly torments his household, he is guilty of theft before God, since every one who, in the exercise of his calling, performs not what he owes to others, keeps back, or makes away with what does not belong to him. 46. This commandment, therefore, we shall duly obey, if, contented with our own lot, we study to acquire nothing but honest and lawful gain. If we long not to grow rich by injustice, nor to plunder our neighbor of his goods, that our own may thereby be increased. If we hasten not to heap up wealth cruelly wrung from the blood of others, if we do not, by means lawful and unlawful, with excess of eagerness, scrape together whatever may glut our avarice or meet our extravagance. On the other hand, let it be our constant aim faithfully to lend our counsel and aid to all so as to assist them in retaining their property. Or if we have to do with the untrustworthy or crafty, let us rather be prepared to yield something of our right than to contend with them. And not only so, but let us contribute to the relief of those whom we see under the pressure of difficulties, 
assist in their want out of our abundance. Lastly, let each of us consider how far he is bound in duty to others, and in good faith pay what we owe. In the same way, let the people pay all due honor to their rulers, submit patiently to their authority, obey their laws and orders, and decline nothing which they can bear without sacrificing the favor of God. Let rulers again take due charge of their people, preserve the public peace, protect the good, curb the bad, and conduct themselves throughout as those who must render an account of their office to God, the judge of all. Let the ministers of churches faithfully give heed to the ministry of the word, and not corrupt the doctrine of salvation, but deliver it purely and sincerely to the people of God. Let them teach not merely by doctrine, but by example. In short, let them act the part of good shepherds towards their flocks. Let the people, in turn, receive them as the messengers and apostles of God, render them the honor which their supreme master has bestowed upon them, and supply them with such things as are necessary for their livelihood. Let parents be careful to bring up, guide, and teach their children as a trust committed to them by God. Let them not exasperate or alienate them by cruelty, but cherish and embrace them with the levity and indulgence which becomes their character. The regard due to parents from their children has already been averted to. Let the young respect those advanced in years, as the Lord has been pleased to make that age honorable. Let the aged also, by their prudence and their experience, in which they are far superior, guide the feebleness of youth, not assailing them with harsh and clamorous invectives, but tempering strictness with ease and affability. Let servants show themselves diligent and respectful in obeying their masters, and this not with eye service, but from the heart, as the servants of God. Let masters also not be stern and disobliging to their servants, nor harass them with excess of harshness, nor treat them with insult, but rather let them acknowledge them as brethren and fellow servants of our heavenly master, whom, therefore, they are bound to treat with mutual love and kindness. Let everyone, I say, thus consider what in his place and order he owes to his neighbors, and pay what he owes. Moreover, we must always have a reference to the lawgiver, and so remembering that the law requiring us to promote and defend the interests and convenience of our fellow men applies equally to our minds and our hands. Ninth Commandment Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 47. The purport of the commandment is, since God, who is truth, abhors falsehood, we must cultivate unfeigned truth towards each other. The sum, therefore, will be that we must not by slander and false accusations injure our neighbor's name, or by falsehood impair his fortunes. In fine, that we must not injure any one from petulance or love of evil speaking. To this prohibition corresponds the command, we must faithfully assist one another as far as in us lies in asserting the truth for the maintenance of his good name and his estate. The Lord seems to have intended to explain the commandment in these words. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Keep thee far from a false matter. Exodus 23.1.7 In another passage, he not only prohibits the species of falsehood which consists in acting the part of talebearers among the people, but says, Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. Leviticus 19.16 Both transgressions are distinctly prohibited. Indeed, there can be no doubt that as in the previous commandment he prohibited cruelty, unchastity, and avarice, so here he prohibits falsehood, which consists of the two parts to which we have averted. By malignant or vicious detraction, we sin against our neighbor's good name by lying, sometimes even by casting a slur upon him, 
we injure him in his estate. It makes no difference whether you suppose that formal and judicial testimony is here intended, or the ordinary testimony which is given in private conversation. For we must always recur to the consideration that for each kind of transgression one species is set forth by way of example, that to it the others may be referred, and that the species chiefly selected is that in which the turpitude of the transgression is most apparent. It seems proper, however, to extend it more generally to slander and sinister insinuations by which our neighbors are unjustly aggrieved. For falsehood in a court of justice is always accompanied with perjury, but against perjury, in so far as it profanes and violates the name of God, there is a sufficient provision in the third commandment. Hence the legitimate observance of this precept consists in employing the tongue in the maintenance of truth, so as to promote the, both the good name and the prosperity of our neighbor. The equity of this is perfectly clear, for if a good name is more precious than riches, a man in being robbed of his good name is no less injured than if he were robbed of his goods, while in the latter case false testimony is sometimes not less injurious than plunder committed by the hand. 48. And yet it is strange with what supine security men everywhere sin in this respect. Indeed, very few are found who do not notoriously labor under this disease. Such is the poisoned delight we take both in prying into and exposing our neighbor's faults. Let us not imagine it is a sufficient excuse to say that on many occasions our statements are not false. He who forbids us to defame our neighbor's reputation by falsehood desires us to keep it untarnished insofar as truth will permit. Though the commandment is only directed against falsehood, it intimates that the preservation of our neighbor's good name is recommended. It ought to be a sufficient inducement to us to guard our neighbor's good name, that God takes an interest in it. Wherefore, evil speaking in general is undoubtedly condemned. Moreover, by evil speaking we understand not the rebuke which is administered with a view of correcting, not accusation or judicial decision, by which evil is sought to be remedied, not public censure, which tends to strike terror into other offenders, not the disclosure made to those whose safety depends on being forewarned, lest unawares they should be brought into danger, but the odious crimination which springs from a malicious and petulant love of slander. Nay, the commandment extends so far as to include that scurious, affected sophistication, instinct with abuse, by which the failings of others, under an appearance of playfulness, are bitterly assailed, as some are wont to do, who court the praise of wit, though it should call forth a blush or inflict a bitter pang. By petulance of this description, our brethren are sometimes grievously wounded, but if we turn our eye to the lawgiver, whose just authority extends over the ears and the mind, as well as the tongue, we cannot fail to perceive that eagerness to listen to slander and unbecoming proneness to censorious judgments are here forbidden. It were absurd to suppose that God hates the disease of evil speaking in the tongue, and yet disapproves not of its malignity in the mind. Wherefore, if the true fear and love of God dwell in us, we must endeavor as far as it is lawful and expedient, and as far as charity admits, neither to listen nor give utterance to bitter and acrimonious charges, nor rashly entertain sinister suspicions. As just interpreters of the words and actions of other men, let us candidly maintain the honor due to them by our judgment, our ear, and our tongue. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4.29 to Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers.